this film has been modified from its original version. It has been formatted to fit this screen. Welcome to Syndicated Cinephiles. Hello and welcome to Syndicated Cinephiles, the podcast where we talk about movies you've seen a million times because they were on TV when you were a kid. I am your host, Madeline Cook, and today my guest is the lovely Anna Johnson. Hi. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Would you like to uh, introduce the movie that you chose, your um, TV movie? Yes, absolutely. The movie that I chose is... One of my favorite movies from my childhood, and probably honestly still to this day as an adult, and it is Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Ooh, <laughs> 1997. 1997. Yes. A true, like, late 90s banger, if I do say so myself. Yes, completely. Directed by Jay Roach, which is maybe the first thing I want to talk about, actually. A big thing about me is that I'm a Dinner for Schmucks apologist. Love that movie deeply with my whole heart. And that's like a Jay Roach. Obviously, there's other Jay Roach movies mm -hmm. he did. Meet the Parents, The Campaign. He did all the Austin Powers movies. Mm -hmm. So he's like Mr. Late 90s, early 2000s comedy. When I saw Jay Roach, I, sh I said, Dinner for Schmucks? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, he did do that. I, that makes sense. I didn't, I've never looked deep in his filmography, but I've seen the Meet the Parents movies when I was a little bit older than when I first saw Austin Powers. And I was like, uh huh, this is comedy. This is it. When you, say, when you say both, do you mean you haven't seen Little Fockers? Wait, no. <laughs> did you not know there was I, a third I, one? Like, now that you say that, I know <laughs> that the existence of it, like, is a thing. But I think I watched Meet the Parents and then I, I specifically remember... <laughs> There's a joke in Meet the Parents. I think it's in Meet the Parents and not Meet the Fockers, where the woman is getting married to, uh, is it? Ben Stiller? Ben Stiller. Right. I wanted to say Steve Carell, but it's Ben Stiller. And his last name is Fokker, and her name is like Pamela Martha whatever, and they go, her name will be Pamela Martha Fokker? And I remember I was young enough to ask my mom, like, why is that a problem? <laughs> why are they, what's wrong? And my mom was like, it sounds like a bad word. <laughs> So, wow, okay, little fuckers need to, like... I saw that in theaters. Don't <laughs> ask me why. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> the whole family went to see it. Wow, the true family outing <laughs> to little fuckers. Little fuckers. My parents are like, we're culturing her. Yes, <laughs> this is important. Enough about Jay Roach, though. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. This is the first of three Austin mm -hmm. Powers movies? Yeah. Okay, and I this is your favorite Austin Powers movie, definitively. Yeah, you know, I... Yes, now it is, I would say. After I rewatched these, and we'll talk about this more, but, like, I rewatched these right at the beginning of 2020-ish, like, right after lockdown started. And I, at the time, was like, oh, the second one's my favorite. The second one's the best. But after rewatching all three of them, I think the first one is the most solid, and the second one is actually now my least favorite of the three. Really? So it has Heather Graham as the leading woman, which is why I think I was influenced, like, I Brand, yeah. but comparatively i think this is the strongest one yeah yeah definitely so so going to the top of this mm -hmm. do you remember the first time you saw this movie i don't remember the first time because i think i was too young to remember it like that's how early i started watching this movie for better or worse <laughs> You were born loving Austin Powers. Really, and honestly, loving Austin Powers. Yes. Yeah. If there's one thing that I want everybody to know about me is that it's, I that I'm groovy. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think probably like 
seven or eight, honestly, mm. like far too young to have been watching it. So I don't remember the exact first time, but it colored my childhood, truly. Like, yeah. it's one of the like few pieces of media that I remember being cognizant enough as a kid to be like, I like this. And it's not just The Little Mermaid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's something that I was like, I find this funny. Specifically, like a comedy movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird when it's you like discover that as a child because like you see children's movies that are funny, but you haven't seen like a comedy really until that age and begin to understand that that's its own genre. Yeah. Uh, so, what are your memories of like watching this on TV? Like, where did it air? Did you watch it with people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my dad and I were like the only ones for a long time that sat and watched TV and like channel surfed. My mom would join us occasionally, but it was mostly me and my dad. And this was one of the movies and my dad was always in control of the remote. Like obviously if there was something that I saw that I wanted him to put on, he would, but Mm -hmm. he was, he was the remote master. And this was a movie that was a guaranteed stop and watch. (laughs) Like whenever he saw one, he was like, Oh, Austin Powers. (laughs) So I watched it with my dad many, many times over. Like, I know there was probably a certain point when I sat and watched it. Eagle-eared listeners will will note that there's a cat in the room with us and his name is Mowgli. So if you hear meowing, that's what's happening. He, too, is an Austin Powers fan. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, watching it with your dad. Yeah, I, I'm sure that there was, like, a certain point. I'm sure I probably saw bits and pieces of it first before he was like, we're going to sit down and watch the whole movie. But I think probably what prompted watching the whole movie was me saying like, I like this. I like this. I want to watch it. Yeah. When we talked about doing this podcast, my I called my dad and I said like, hey, what did we watch together? Like, I know there are many things. And I, I said like, I think maybe uh, we watched Austin Powers a lot. And he was like, oh yeah, that was the number one thing. Oh. So... Even as I grew up, we watched a lot of TV together, like even into like my teenage and young adult years. But so it's very much like a thing that I have with my dad, which is really funny considering it's like Austin Powers. <laughs> but yeah, it's very much a thing that I have with my dad, I think. Yeah. And he and I, uh, when the third one came out, which I believe was like in the early 2000s, I think it was before I was 10 years old. We loved the first two movies so much. We saw the third one in theaters. I'm sure I was too young. Like, I think it was rated R. I have no idea how he got me in, but... Uh, well, if you're if you're above six, as long as you have your parent, you can go. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's my dad is, like, parent of the year for that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> take it's, my daughter. It's so real, though. Like, unless there's sex actively happening on the screen, even then, you might kind of be like, what's happening? Like, uh-huh. I'm mildly uncomfortable, but not until you're, are you, you're, like, a tween, yeah. are you, like really self-conscious about that kind of stuff. I yeah. think when you're a kid, you're like, these people are goofy. Mm-hmm. The Austin Powers movies specifically, too, are like goofy-ass. Yeah. So. The sexuality in it is very harmless. Yes. Yes. Very silly. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love a dad movie. I can relate to that a lot. I know another one that you were like debating on having be your movie for the episode was Blazing Saddles. Yeah. <laughs> That's another dad movie for you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A lot of my like comedy sense i think at least started to be molded by the media that i took and it was all from my dad yeah. now thinking about that like so i'm gonna call him after this and say hey dad thank you for like making me funny <laughs> yeah that's so that's so real i think you and i have very similar childhoods in that way yeah. of my dad was also the movie person in my life and was also the comedy person in mm-hmm. my life so was always making me you know sit down and watch airplane and be yeah. like this is important you yeah. know love that 
Uh, so you did a rewatch of this movie. Mm-hmm. Before the rewatch, what were your like general opinions of the movie other than having like, you know, warm, fuzzy, nostalgia memories for it? I, so I watched in 2020 as well. So I did a relatively like recent rewatch before this rewatch for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So before I had a relatively good memory of everything that happened in it. So like before going into it, I was like, I know I'm going to love this because I know I love this movie and I love how goofy, silly it is. And also, I remember watching it as an adult, there are some things that fell flat for me. Definitely did not even, like, phase me when I was a kid. I either didn't understand them or I was like, haha. Yeah. We'll talk more about that in a moment. When you're a kid, like, when things have the cadence of a joke, the way you're able to just laugh at them, like, even though you don't get what it is, you're like, oh, that's a punchline. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like this innate comedy sense yeah. which is like cute and also you're like you don't even know what you're laughing at stupid <laughs> kid. i'm trying to think of a moment that like definitely whatever i like the whole penis and larger sequence as, yeah. as a kid i was like oh it's fine he doesn't want this <laughs> like and my dad was like crying laughing of course like right. so going into it i was like i remember there are some things that definitely did not work for me mm-hmm. as an adult uh and i also knew like overall i'm willing to not overlook it but like look at it as a product of its time yeah so which that... is, as far as a product of its time goes i mean not to completely blow open my entire opinion of this movie i was expecting it to be way more offensive mm-hmm. than it was yeah i was pleasantly surprised That's that it great. was pretty pretty benign with mm-hmm. a lot of the jokes yeah Benign is a good word. Harmless, like you said earlier, is good too. It's like, I don't even want to call it a raunchy comedy, even though it is, and Austin Powers is like a huge horn dog. Like, it's not like the objectification of women does not feel like is a 1997 movie. You yeah. know what I mean? In that, women are still objectified a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think it could be handled better if an Austin Powers were to be made today. With how reboot crazy we've been, genuinely surprised we haven't had a new. Austin Powers yeah. movie, frankly. Mike Myers has talked about it. I remember reading about it a few years ago when I watched it in 2020. He mm-hmm. wants to, but he doesn't want to do it without Vern Troyer, who comes in in the second movie and is in the second and third movies and is a beloved character. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to do it without him. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow another, like, a reboot does happen and I would love did. I would love to see what <laughs> a modern Austin Powers take would <laughs> like, It does worry me, though, like, because... Part of it is the 90s and early aughts of it all, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. There is something I have read where he said he doesn't want to do it without Vern, which is touching and sad. Yeah, yeah, completely. Would you, both before the rewatch, even the rewatch in 2020, and then after the rewatch, would you place this in your, like, top 100 anywhere? Yeah, I think so. I think so because, like, objectively, I think a good film yeah. and not a great, crazy, this is, like, like influential yeah. film but my nostalgia plays a big part in it and also i think the world and the bit in that is like akin to my mind of like a sketch comedy show mm-hmm. which is another reason it's really good to pick up for channel surfing because it is like one character who is i think a strong through line but it's bits like yeah. ultimately it's it's goofy silly little like spy parody bits yes uh, so it's definitely within my top 100 i said within my top 50 probably like a low lower there but Mm -hmm. firmly in there i'm so influenced by nostalgia that i i'm aware of this it's completely fine and you know whenever i bring up this question some people act like i'm asking them to do like an afi top 100 of like what the best movies i'm like no what are your favorites it's completely subjective they don't even have to be good movies like 
So yeah, this I'm not surprised to hear that. Like I said, I mean, I really enjoyed watching this movie. I was so nervous when I chose it. I was like, I know Madeline will be nice about this no matter what, but like this could really not be her bag. (laughs) And instead, this was her bag, baby, written by Madeline Cook. It was. It was. Yeah. I, I don't know if I said this, you know, you know, but I don't know if I said this in the recording yet, but I had never seen any Austin Powers film before in my life. I don't know. It was just movies like this. It would have to be something that my parents would make an effort to show me. Mm -hmm. And I think they just never really watched these movies. And so I went my whole life without seeing an Austin Powers movie. Also a James Bond movie. I had never seen until this past year. So there's a lot of blind spots like that for me. So I still have never seen a James Bond movie. Really? As far as I'm concerned, this is my basis for spotting movies. <laughs> like, this is all I need. Mean. It really is, yeah. frankly. Especially, like, I don't know. For me, like, I guess I want to see some of the really iconic, like, Goldfinger yeah. or ones that are, like, really maybe campy, you yeah. know, from the 60s and 70s. But I just frankly know that, like, this Austin Powers movie in my opinion, I will enjoy more than yeah. any James Bond movie I will ever see. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, honestly. Like, yeah. It's enjoyable. Enjoyable is a good word for this movie. Yes, yes, completely. Uh, um, so when you would watch it on TV, mm-hmm. how many times do you think you saw it in its entirety? Or was it mostly, like, majority of the times you saw it, it was just bits and pieces? In its entirety, I would say, like, at least 10. Mm-hmm. Because it was one of the like go-to movies for me as a kid with my dad so like i'm sure when we watched the second one we would watch the first one before or things like that definitely i've seen it more in bits and pieces like i would say like anytime i've watched a clip from this movie on tv it would be like over 20 at least yeah but with the rewatches i've done throughout my life and like i feel like he and i would probably sit down to watch it fully at least every other year, mm-hmm. if not more frequently, in addition to whenever we saw it on TV. When so, did you also have like the DVD of it too? Or oh, yeah, <laughs> my parents still have the like all three DVDs of each of the movies. I when we were doing this, I was I told my partner I was like I would like to own these actually. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if they're on Blu-ray, but um, I bet they have to be. Yeah, I see them every time I go back to my parents' house. They have like not a crazy amount of DVDs and they're always because they're colorful and in 60s like psychedelic colors and they, yeah. the covers grab me and I'm like oh yeah we have these oh, yeah. there is something so you know I know this whole thing is about watching stuff on TV but you know I both you and your partner like value physical media I feel like a lot of friends in our sphere value physical media and it's funny having to explain to my parents like why it's still important Mm -hmm. to keep DVDs and stuff and just the rush you get when you go home and pick up like an old battered DVD that you used to run the fuck out even if it was like scratched to hell or whatever your parents have had literally for 20 years yes like this like is a relic in a really like lovely way like yeah it's so important to have these forms of media now because anything on streaming like if the same movie is on streaming like it can be taken down any day but we have it yeah Yeah. and it can be edited which especially with movies like this the woke mob (laughs) not to go boomer but it's like you know i could definitely see movies like this that have a couple objectionable things in them yeah being sliced to pieces for the sake of appeasing random people when it's like no, we need to, like, show the truth of what happened. Yeah. I wonder what this would look like if and when it does air on modern cable channels. Like, yeah. a flattery. 
probably not many 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 changes made to this one but yeah i don't know it's a good question i mean like talk about it in a second there is a character in brown face right at the beginning of the movie so like that was really difficult to watch there was that Um, and we also like let's get into just all the stuff mike myers I guess in like a prescient nod to the love guru, um, oh, dons a turban near the end when they're like oh, in yes, disgust. <laughs> I literally typed out, I was like, love guru Raph. That movie's like 10 years from then, but I was. Dude, I, that was his last like big feature film he made for himself, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that people say he doesn't work as much anymore is because it was so bad. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it so excitedly because I knew I loved Austin. You've seen the love guru? Oh yeah. Have you not? <laughs> one of the running jokes that it's, I don't remember much about it. I remember it being, like, fine for a 12-year-old or whatever. Yeah. But one of the running jokes in it is that he uses a very unfortunate, like, Southeast Asian, like, Indian-Pakistani accent the whole time. Horrible. But he, like, says words that are supposed to sound foreign. And one of the words he says, so stupid, he says, Mariska Hargante to everybody. Like, the the host. Or the actress. Uh, and... I remember it's like even at that age being like that's not like it's not so this is pre love guru him trying out his little light light uh, cultural comedy yeah. <laughs> yeah but the one that you're referencing which I wrote down is Will Ferrell playing a Middle Eastern you man. know what the worst part of this is Madeline this is Will Ferrell's according to IMDb trivia so take it with a grain of salt don't tell me this is Will Ferrell's future film <laughs> He, he's in brown face and no. he's fucking tossed into the pits of hell no. and then gets shot. And like, he does an accent. He really did the full fucking offensive accent. It's horrible. It's quite bad. He's also, he's, spoiler, in the second movie, he comes back as that character mm-hmm. in ways that are explained in the movie and it's even worse. Although he does have, he's a scene that is objectively funny, not because he is in brown face. Like, the scene itself, the things that he says are funny and not related to his, like, race, quote-unquote, at all. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was one of the moments that I wrote down as, like, least favorite moments. <laughs> having to watch Wolf Earl fully commit to brown face. Like, yeah, I'm gonna be honest. I, that might have been, like, the main thing that I wrote down that I was like, this is decidedly offensive and wrong. Like, a lot of the other stuff was, like, playfully not that bad. No, compared to other, you know, maybe I've been poisoned by, like, you know, I haven't seen Anchorman, but it seemed like a lot of stuff from that era. This was just the beginning of, like, being kind of edgy, but still, like, tender in a way and, like, sweet in a movie. And then it feels like the wheels kind of came off in, like, the mid-2000s of, like, we're going to be full edgy and be mean and, like, say slurs and stuff, so. You're totally right about that. Like, this is, like, this could be a big precursor, too. Yeah. Uh, And, spoiler alert, I believe it's in the second or third movie, there is, like, a really, I think, bad Asian stereotype. Mm -hmm. So, they did commit to it, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but, yeah. I'm willing to, like, give it a little bit of grace in that, like, it's not right and Mm -hmm. it's not good. However, not even however. And also, at the time, this was more, quote-unquote, accepted in mainstream media. Yeah. And and in comedy circles, you know. And so it's it's like we can look at it critically like that. As a historical document. Yeah. Yeah, for the time when it came out. Another thing, too, that I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, is the whole... 
basic romantic plot of the movie, which is Austin Powers starts out like kind of being in love with this woman and then he gets cryogenically frozen, which by the way, I had no idea of any of that. I thought it was set in the 60s. I did not yeah. know that anybody being frozen and being in the 90s was a thing. Do love that concept. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of like the Brady Watch movie, which I also love. <laughs> but then he falls in love with the daughter. Mm -hmm. And I just decided let that bother me yeah. upon watching it. I was like, it's fine. Yeah. At least it wasn't like, it could have gone in a weird way of like, he shagged the mom and like the daughter was like his kid or something. That yeah. Was weird. So I'm glad it wasn't that. Yes. That bothers me less, I think, than the, the way he immediately like comes on to her and basically like sexually harasses her at the workplace. Like that stood out to me on this rewatch where I was like, this is funny. Ha ha. Like I, and if I was a woman in this situation, I would feel really uncomfortable. And also after continual pestering, if I saw that this person was ultimately a good person and like misguided, like I believe his character is supposed to be because he's from the sixties, I would probably also be like, you're hot. Like I, I get it. Yeah. But that, that stood out to me the most on this rewatch. I was like, Oh, yikers. Like he's harassing this, like he's fully harassing this woman. Yes. Um, right so. off the bat. That we do get, like, it seems like the first 15 to 20 minutes of them being in a scene together at all is him being like, let's fuck, and her being like, please no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, like, toned down because he uses silly, goofy 60s. I'm not going to lie. I love, I love the rotating bed. I thought that was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Like, him, like, sitting on the bed and, like... Sticking his ass up in the air. And then, like, falling back on the bed and rolling over on her. Like, it's so stupid and funny. And also, it's troublesome. Like, yeah. 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 Like, I, you know, keep coming back to the phrase harmless. And then I was surprised by how harmless it was. That even in those moments where I was like, the core of this is a bummer. But I also feel like I'm still able to, you know, just put that part of my brain away and be like, well, that sucks. I'm going to try to enjoy at least this is funny in the way that he's being problematic is fucking hilarious. Yeah, that's a good way of saying. Yeah. <laughs> if you had to say a favorite part of this movie. There's so many. Things. I know. I mean, it's because it's a movie of bits, right? Yeah. I going back to my dad. We <laughs> I love my dad. My mom and I poke fun at him a lot sometimes. A lot, a lot, all the time. And one of the things that we say about him is that he has repertoire of stuff that he, <laughs> jokes that he makes, and like five of them are from this movie. Like he does the he does the zip it zip it good bit like all the time, especially even more when we were kids. But so like I love that part because it makes me think of my dad, and also it's funny. Um, that whole part was improvised. Really? Fun fact. Yeah. Um, again, according to IMDb trivia, so like I'm, I was not there, but, um, uh, I also, I think like, I love the opening sequence, the dance number. It makes you think that the movie is going to be all like that. That's all, you know what? That's critique for this movie. I wish there was more choreographed dance numbers. Yeah. Um, Cause it actually would lend itself to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, I mean, I love the general like silliness of spoofing spy movies last night when i watched it i was crying laughing when number two said well they're sea bass instead of sharks like i was like i forgot about that it's funny um so i don't know i mean like there are moments like that that are more in the wordplay and the situational stuff that's 
made me laugh really hard last night. And also I really, really like, I think the physical humor when it's not Austin harassing someone Mm -hmm. holds up really well as well. Like the steamroller bit. Oh my God. (laughs) Which was that, if I clocked it correctly, was that Michael McDonald from Mad TV? I don't know, but that sounds right because I believe that person gets steamrolled. (laughs) I believe I've heard before that they are a person who has done stuff. I'm going to look at his wiki right now. So, yes. Yeah. Steve, he plays Steve Har- Harmon, the evil henchman. So I have to assume that <laughs> I'm yes, sure it probably is. <laughs> so it's like that moment and the other one last night that made me like, again, cry laughing was when Austin was stuck with Carl. Oh my oh, god. That was like, I hate to say that that was my favorite part, but I like screamed laughing. <laughs> for, for those of you who, you know, are trying to remember the parts of the film that we're talking about. It's, like, near the end of the movie, and he commandeers this little, like, cart, and then he's in a hallway, so he has to turn around. And so he's, like, doing a 27-point turn, but the cart he's in is, like, just as wide as the hallway. So so he, like, starts to do it. We see him start to do it for five minutes, and then we cut back to him, and he's exactly perpendicular in the hallway. And he just keeps going, like, back and forth, and, like, (laughs) like, forwarding and reversing. And, and, like, it's constantly cutting back to these, like, really dire circumstances. Hot, like, be fighting in the lab. Yeah. Like, an actual, like, nuclear warhead going to the center of the Earth. And he's just there, like, bring, bring, bring. <laughs> it's, honestly, it's, it holds up so well. Oh, God. Yeah. I should say, very brief synopsis mm-hmm. for people who have not seen this movie. Austin Powers is a spy in the 60s modeled after James Bond. Dr. Evil is his nemesis, also played by Mike Myers. He cryogenically freezes himself to go into the future to commit crimes. And so Austin Powers also freezes himself. They both wake up in the 90s. Dr. Evil holds the world ransom by drilling a nuclear warhead into the earth for... One million dollars, and then later one billion, one hundred billion dollars. I think it's one hundred billion dollars. <laughs> correct. Which is a great guy. Yeah. And then Austin has to team up with the daughter of his old partner, who is now his same age, and then they fall in love and they defeat Doctor Evil, etc., etc., etc. Chaos ensues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Comic mischief. I have to say too, like something. I'm glad that I had a reason to watch this movie. Because there are, like, this is so ingrained in the culture of America. Like, so many quotes from this movie. And so the whole putting your pinky up to your mouth and saying one million dollars. Yeah. Like, I always understood that was from Austin Powers, but I was like, okay, like, why is that funny? And I was delighted that within context, it is funny. Like, a lot, I feel like a lot of times when you hear those quotes a million times from kids in middle school, you're like, shut up. And then you watch the actual movie and you're like... That's not even funny. Yeah. And I was delighted that everything, every quote in here (laughs) actually was hilarious in context. It has longevity. Yes. Definitely. And like Austin Powers being recognizable to most Americans, at least our age or older, like, Mm -hmm. I think speaks to, again, the silliness of the movie being timeless in a way. Yes. Yeah, you're totally right. Like, it, that really could have been a stupid thing, because the kids in middle school did always do that, didn't they? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's yeah. Like, People would quote the dumbest shit and, like, or, like, things from Super Bad or oh, things from yeah. Anchorman, like, things that I didn't see until later in life. 
that I associated with annoying middle school boys. Mm -hmm. And more than half the time when I watched the actual thing, I was like, that's not even the funny part of this movie that they're <laughs> quoting. Like, they're just 10-year-old idiots. It's just a short quote that they can say. Yes. They think that that's what they need to parrot. And they're cool because they watched a rated R movie yeah. when they were a tween. Um, I, like, other than just how many good bits there are in this movie, if I had to pick, like, a favorite part or, like, component of this movie... The production design was kind of insane. Mm -hmm. And the costume design. Mm. Oh my god. And I immediately, while watching it, was like Googling Austin Powers costume design Oscar. Mm. Never nominated. Wow, really? The second one got nominated for makeup. Wow. But these were never nominated for any Oscars for costumes or production design. And I was floored by that, actually. Yeah. Because it was such a visually cool movie. Yeah. And so, like, keenly observed. Especially, like... He does all these random photo shoots with people. And even at the end in the post credits, yeah. taking all those photos with Elizabeth Hurley. And the costumes are also fucking cool. And there's like 20 of them in that post credits photo yeah. shoot. Yeah. And they're all like the mod 60s looks. I mean, throughout the whole thing, it's both the 60s timeline and the 90s timeline. But yeah. it's like... Yeah, the the this movie was not nominated for any Oscars. That's so wild. Yes. That's like... Kind of, I mean, well, not unbelievable because it's a comedy mm -hmm. and like I can see it not being taken seriously, but you're right. The production design is gorgeous. That was another thing that I really, really loved upon this rewatch. I was like, it, the production design and the costume design is so, I mean, committed. I remember thinking like, damn, the budget they must have had for this was probably, I mean, I'm guesstimating, but like probably more than other silly comedies at this time and maybe it's because my buyers was attached to it and you know mm -hmm. whatever but like i remember thinking like this looks like a higher budget movie that is intentionally choosing to make some things look cheesy quote unquote mm -hmm. um and it was just gorgeous and it, and it adds to the comedy right because it like elevates the world that the world is this way completely i was looking up austin powers halloween costume oh. personally <laughs> when i saw those Goddamn fembots. <laughs> I Halloween for the rest of my life. They are everything. <laughs> yeah, there's so many options. Iconic, actually, like, I think, like, you could be Austin Powers one night for one Halloween party and, and then be a fembot the next night, or be Austin Powers and, like, take off your coat and your ascot and have the fembot, like, gun titties. Like, I mean, there you go. Love it. Oh, God. For those curious of what did win best costume design that year, it was Titanic. Wow. What even... I haven't even heard of that. Me neither. Austin Powers, International Man of Mystery. Not familiar at all. So I think that's bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on that. That also won Best Art Direction. So some, some dumb movie called Titanic swept that year, I guess. There's no respect. Yeah. For true artists. <laughs> <laughs> Another, like, of the production design that... Every time I saw it, it made me laugh without fail and was just like, again, they were so clued in to what makes this funny. The fucking chest hair. The fake chest hair that they have. It's so long. Yeah. There's some shots where you can truly see like parts of it are like six inches long. And it's such a silly like throw not even throw away, but like just a sight gag, truly. Consistently. Um, and it's consistently Yeah. I love, there's one shot, I think it's when he's in the hot tub, um, where you see his chest hair in 
the tub, then he turns around or whatever, mm -hmm. and you see his back, and you see that he has no hair <laughs> on his back. I thought that was awesome. I was like, so this is, if the Austin Powers universe, this man just grows his chest hair in a penis inherently, and it's, it is gorilla length, like, 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 yeah, it's, you're totally right. If if you did a Halloween costume of Austin Powers, like sexy Austin Powers, I think you'd have to include some chest hair. Gotta get the rug. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> the rug. <laughs> uh, some other random things in here. Something that's like so fun about older comedy movies is the plethora of just like random character actors, some of which would later like make it big. Like mm -hmm. Will Ferrell, you know, he was like just starting out on his career, who's probably still on SNL at this point. Probably. Uh, but other people, they got Carrie Fisher to be in this. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. I'm like kind of surprised by that, mm -hmm. that they were able to bag her for this movie. Yeah. She was great as the like, oh, we haven't even touched on this subplot of Dr. Evil having a son who hates him, played by Seth, Seth Green, King of the every, 90s. Every single time he comes out of his room, you hear like hardcore <laughs> metal 90s rock. Yeah. <laughs> Which that was another thing I picked up on this watch. I was like, this is everything. Like, everything is perfectly put together for his character. Yeah, it's it's so, you know, I've said this before, I feel like, about other comedies, but I just love trope-based comedy specifically, and I hate you, Dad. You were never around from my childhood. Immediately recognizable, and then you just get to have fun with it mm -hmm. for an hour and a half. Oh my god. Yeah. But yeah, they go to like father son therapy <laughs> led by Carrie Fisher in a group. But Dr. Did you block that it was her immediately? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also probably because I watched When Harry Met Sally immediately oh. before this. Sure. Well, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Carrie Fisher on the brain. Mm -hmm. Somebody else, a couple other people. Uh, the soup Nazi from Seinfeld? Yeah. He's the, oh my gosh. He's, he's the blackjack dealer yes, in the, the casino. Dealer, yeah. I, I mean, like, if you think about Mike Myers at the time, like, I think he had just stopped doing SNL because of the success of the, uh... Wayne's World? Wayne's World movies. Mm -hmm. Anna looked at me in the most desperate, I like... Desperate, I held my hand out, like, like please, please give me the name of this film. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, he had just finished... He was... I think the second one had already come out before this movie did, although I might be wrong. But, like, he had finished SNL relatively recently gotten a movie made off of his character that was a hit SNL. that was a huge hit so i feel like he probably was like a big hot shot quote unquote like to work with in the world he probably had a lot of connections he probably was like let me because i think he was a producer of this movie too because I, I know he he was one of the driving forces as to why it got made obviously as was demi moore really i didn't know that yeah i caught that in the credits it was like executive producers mike myers a couple other people and then demi moore yeah well i guess demi moore has some taste doesn't she she said, I need to get involved with this. <laughs> she I said, tell. I knew this. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure he had a lot of friends who he wanted to put in his movie, which, I mean, say, like, you know, like, that would be what I would want to do as well. Mm -hmm. was cool. Completely. And then I had to look up his name, but he's somebody that all of us know all the time, which his name is Patrick Bristow. Who's he is he? the redheaded tour guide near the end of this, but he's also, you know, famous from Showgirls, notably. Mm -hmm. We also know him from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Mm. I feel like that's the first... Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. He works at the, like, restaurant at the Tipton. 
he's like the major d actual king like he's like in every he's one of those people no i don't think so i think he's clean (laughs) but he's like one of those you know 90s early 2000s people who he you know he was on seinfeld too for an episode Mm -hmm. he just always showed up in everything and is like always a delight so when he popped up i was like hell fucking yeah Yeah. they got him for this that's awesome and then also cameo of Burt Baccarat. I know, dude. I oh. Madeline, when I watched it, like for this rewatch, I thought in my head, I was like, oh, Madeline's gonna watch <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's the Burt Baccarat music. It's the him being there, playing it, like on the sultry, like private little bus ride. I was like, oh, Madeline's gonna eat this shit. I fucking did. If I'm, if I remember, I think he's in like the following, at least one of the following movies as well. So I think maybe. In my head canon, Mike Myers asked him to be in this, like, last minute or, like, just a Hail Mary, like, maybe Bert will do it. And then he agreed and became friends. So, that's that actually happened. <laughs> Bert Backrack only recently deceased. Yeah. What, it was, like, last year that yeah. he died, I think? Yeah. I'm a sucker for Backrack. Something else that was, like, so wonderful for me to see this movie is that immediately after watching this, I was like, I want to watch the next one. Because there's so many things that I didn't know which one of the movies they were in. Sure. So, like, this movie does not include Mini-Me. Correct. Which is the Vern Troyer thing. Yeah. yeah. And I have no concept for what that even is, other than it is a little person who is dressed like Dr. Evil. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's more to it, as you can imagine. But in in total, it is it is a clone of Dr. Evil. Who okay. Is a little person. And probably... I would say, other than Austin Powers and Dr. Evil themselves, even maybe more than Dr. Evil, like, probably the most quote-unquote iconic, recognized character and, like, idea from these movies. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, I was, like, a little bit nervous that Mini-Me was going to be in this movie because I have no concept of, like, what's funny about Mini-Me. Sure. Does the comedy come from him just being a little person? Because I feel like we got, for lack of a better word, I'm about to say a technical slur here, we got a lot of like, quote-unquote, idiot comedy in the 90s and 2000s. Is that the him in the later movies? Yeah, I mean, it's not not as progressive as I I would want it to be today, like, to say the least. Like, I think a lot of the comedy comes from, so he's a clone, and Dr. Evil, as you know, has a fraught relationship with his son, and, like, he begins to love Minnie much more Scott, and so then that changes the dynamic, and that's funny. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's good. But then, like, Minnie actual quote-unquote antics are, like, he doesn't talk, which I think is bad. He makes sounds. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty horrible, actually. Yeah. And he... It acts as Dr. Evil's, like, right-hand man and gets into, like, comic... Physical, a lot of physical, physical comedy humor, based on its size. Yeah, exactly. And that's very, I think, on par with a lot of the other comedy of the future little people in that time. Which is unfortunate. Like, and, I mean, Vern Troyer worked on both of the movies and, you know, who knows what the situation was for him. I hope it wasn't, like, I hope it was a relatively good working environment. Like, mm-hmm. as good as it could be for a person who is different othered in that way especially in the 90s and early 2000s so it there are moments where i think that character is used well especially the moments where scott gets jealous of him like that's really fucking funny (laughs) uh but overall yeah he's in both the second and third movie okay another thing too that i was like is this in this movie or another movie on social media and on tiktok i was really hearing the song daddy wasn't there a Mm -hmm. lot 
which is kind of a banger. Yeah. <laughs> and it did not show up in this movie, but it made me again want to watch the next one because yeah. I'm like, I think that's in the second one. Yeah. yeah. By their little band who, did you see who's in that band or did you look up? Like the fake band who during the credits, they wrote a song called BBC. And yeah. It during the and credits. it slapped. And yes. It, yeah. And it's like so fucking good. I'm going to go on the wiki just to make sure I get this right. The band is named Ming T. <laughs> Ming T band. They're like an official band. Yeah. But one of the members is Susanna Hoffs uh-huh. from the Bangles. Oh my god. <laughs> She's like wow. the guitar player in it. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> wow. I love when movies do stuff like that. You know, especially like like you said, he had done like Wayne's World before, so he wasn't like a nobody doing this movie. But I feel like it's a sign when randos who aren't in the comedy world are willing to sign on to do stuff with you that you're like a nice person to some degree. I would hope so. Yeah. I'm looking at the IMDb now and like here's a few other names that I didn't notice that are literally uncredited. Rob Lowe, decapitated henchman's friend. What? Apparently, I did not catch that. I mean, I think he probably is on screen for like two seconds or something. And then easily fooled security guard, Christian Slater. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> That's amazing. I, yeah, I would hope so. I read a little bit about Mike Myers in preparation for this. I literally, Madeline, like, I googled, like, Mike Myers scandal. Mike Myers problematic. Controversy. <laughs> Canceled. And there was nothing that came up that said he has done any behavior that has been bad however some some like not really credible articles i read said that he was like challenging to work with on set sometimes mm-hmm. and i would hope that he would no longer be like that when yeah. working i hope that shrek mellowed him out honestly but like <laughs> but there's nothing like there's no huge adverse behavior that has come to light at least and i mean like i would hope that working on a set like this would be a lot of people not taking themselves too seriously. Yeah. You know, it should be like both in like taking the work seriously enough to get it done, but also like there are many points in this movie that feel improv, not just from Mike Myers, but there's the scene with Minnie Sterling, who I think is a fucking queen. Frau Farbissima. She's also the bagpipe teacher in iCarly. Yes. Absolute fucking queen. She's like, that's what I fucking recognize her from. I knew she was in some fucking dance show. Awesome. I also looked up if she was cancelled and does not appear that she is. <laughs> I was just very careful with who I get praised to. She's been in a bunch of TV stuff since doing these, but she's in all three Austin Powers movies. Nice. There was the part where she says, where she's talking about the Lucky Charms, and um, again, at 42, I'm thinking Georgia, that was all improv. Which I was like, fucking queen shit. Like, yeah. So I would hope that the set would be a good place to work and that's why people would come back for subsequent movies too. Yeah, so. completely. I hate to to pin it all on this, but there's something about Canadians. <laughs> like, I just have to say it does seem like a lot of yeah. Canadian comedy people do seem to be, like, very genuine and have good reputations yeah. on the whole. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty rare that we see, like, SCTV alums being huge assholes or whatever. I think you're totally right, Paul. Yeah. Go Canada. Send us more. Yeah. Good for you guys. <laughs> um, I forgot about the fucking Lucky Charms. <laughs> Again, like, it's just another one of those, like, little bits that 
just stands out to me. And I think Mindy Sterling seals it with the delivery of the, like, oh, I thought I'd had the cereal and this all the little bit of marshmallow. Like, I was, again, I was like, last night, I was like, this is gold. Yes. Like, it's gold that's not uh, offensive now. Yes. It? Like, there's nothing questionable about it. Completely. Other people who are in this movie that we haven't really talked about, Michael York, who... Oh, yeah. Yeah, who... His character... Basil Exposition. <laughs> I did not catch that his last name was Exposition until I went on the wiki and saw it. I was like, Basil, yeah. Basil Exposition. That's the main thing. And the whole time I was like, what do I know him from? What do I know him from? He's in the movie of Cabaret. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Yeah, that's... I mean, he's in other stuff, too. It looks like he was in the Zeffirelli, Romeo and Juliet, Murder on the Orient Express, etc. But I was like, hey, it's the guy from from Cabaret. Mm -hmm. And then also uh, Robert Wagner as number two. I looked him up last night because I was like, he looks familiar to me. And I saw the stuff that he had done. And I was like, I think Madeline's going to know him from something. It's interesting because he, maybe this is just me. So a lot of the things that he was in, he's definitely like an old Hollywood guy. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that he was in are not generally like, still renowned today that people watch a lot it looks like he was in towering inferno and like a bunch of big blockbuster movies that maybe don't hold up the main thing he is known for is that he maybe murdered natalie wood did you know that that guy yes oh my god i did not realize it was that guy. his name popped up i was like the guy who killed natalie Wood. he was on the boat with her Oh my god. So it was it was him, Natalie Wood, and Christopher Walken on the boat when all that stuff went down. Which, by the way, this joke is going to be so out of date by the time anyone listens to this. But the writer's strike has been going on. I don't know if you saw on Twitter. Celebrities are auctioning, auctioning off experiences that you can have with them. And so like, so, like, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross are auctioning off to donate to the WGA. They're auctioning it off. We'll go to dinner with you, a thousand dollars or whatever. Yeah. There's a bunch of random stuff like that, like five hundred dollars for a Zoom with the cast of New Girl or whatever, which is great. But we're also getting a ton of memes right now of like made up ones. <laughs> One that I saw was Christopher Walken will tell you what happened that night on the boat. <laughs> One million dollars. It's going to a good cause. Um, <laughs> it's always really funny. <laughs> it's like an intrusive thought that I have of like. If I ever met him, the way I would have to clamp it down and be like, don't ask Christopher Walken about Natalie Wood. We'll just say it at this point. I mean, he's getting he's getting old enough that we all just need to be asking him. And Robert, oh, Robert Wagner's still alive. I thought he was dead. He has, like, you know, fallen out of, I don't know that he's still. It doesn't look like he's working a lot. He was on NCIS, yeah. it looks like, recently. That's, but... that's where we all end up, huh? Yeah. Oh, 13 episodes. So he did, did a stint on. Yeah. Damn, I did not know he was on fine. <laughs> That's, I hate, you know, we don't know what really happened that night. We don't know if he fucking killed Natalie Wood. But I hate to say that that is, like, the thing that he is known as currently in today's climate. He's the guy who was there that night. Speaking of people from this movie who have gone on to, I mean, this guy confirmed, like, murdered someone. The guy who plays Random Task. I don't know if you read about him. He... Uh, we'll we'll talk about this because I think it's relevant to mention he before this movie it's been proven in a court like of law at this point that he I believe sexually assaulted someone 
and it was proved way after this movie came out, like 13 years after it happened with DNA evidence that it was him and he got arrested. I think, yeah, I mean, I think he, like, it was bad. And then when he was in jail, from what I read, I believe he, like, is accused of killing someone in jail. So that was weird to watch. <sighs> Knowing that, that's I, I think it's important to mention, like, in this, like, movie that otherwise is very lighthearted that, like, I don't know. That was a weird dichotomy for me, knowing that this time. I, I'm i not going to describe any of this stuff, but I am looking at the wiki of what he was proven guilty of doing. And it is, like, heinous, really terrible assault and torture of a person. So, that, <laughs> 100% evil motherfucker. Yeah. Is he still alive? I don't know. He is still alive. He's probably in jail, I would assume. Yes. Jesus, that's terrible. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. So, no, note that. It's like weird, like outcropping of people from this movie. Yeah. Stuff that went on to happen. Like, one is Shrek and one is the potential, like, murderer. <laughs> and one is Mr. Family Guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and another that we didn't even talk about, another, like, little cameo guy that whenever he pops up, I'm like, hey, boy, is Clint Howard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, hey, Ronnie's brother. What are you doing here? I'm correct. Is he also in the second movie? No, I think he's just in this first one. There's a, a silly, stupid gag in the second movie that's like very based around people in a um, radar room, very similar to the beginning, like where he's in. I don't think he's the same guy though, but maybe after this, I'll show you that gag because it's really stupid. <laughs> but it's, it's another iconic one. <laughs> um, we would be remiss to not mention another great gag in this movie that I did really laugh out loud when this name was said is a lot of vagina. It's so good. <laughs> that was another one that my dad held on to. Like he would just name things a lot of vagina. Like I think that I think my brother's Xbox was a lot of vagina. Like it, it's, so, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. It's so on the nose and so good. Obviously referencing Pussy Galore mm -hmm. from the original James Bond movies and so uh, can be so i love movies like this that are like kind of like first choice best choice like we're not going to try to be subtle about this mm -hmm. we're being goofy a lot of vagina and they're committed and <laughs> like and it works yes yeah. um <laughs> a lot of vagina another thing i loved this is like um it's interesting because in comparing this to the brady bunch movie which you seen? I don't think I have. Maybe as a kid I did. You... It sounds familiar, but like it's I know what the Brady Bunch is, but yeah. it sounds like I've seen it before, like reaching in the deep recesses of my mind. Totally. Not not recently enough to remember it. Yeah, so. I think you'd really love it. It's very yeah. tonally similar to this, and it's another 60s, 70s characters are dropped into the 90s. Mm -hmm. I do love that. That version, it's interesting, is very very wholesome family is dropped into the 90s and has to deal with like carjacking and opioid crisis and like grunge music and everything and they're just shiny happy 70s groovy this almost felt like a reversal a little bit where they were talking about how irresponsible the 60s were and how fucked up the 60s mm -hmm. were and stuff and that the 90s is much more buttoned down and responsible mm -hmm. which is so interesting to me like i was not expecting that but it's also like and he he gives like a little speech yeah i don't remember at what point in the movie but he's like we had known that these would be the consequences of how we acted we probably would have done things differently but it was born out of love it's like the 
not the vibe, but like the thought has still been the same. Yeah. Like, yeah. Love it was freedom. Surprisingly poignant. <laughs> like, yeah. It's he's on he was on the side of the sixties and the Brady Bunch was not in. So like <laughs> they just traded sides. Yeah. Like when they went to the nineties. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I did admittedly love and they never I I hate to say the bar is so low, but it feels like using saying AIDS as a joke was like such a big thing in that era and in the 80s too of like this person got aids lol Mm -hmm. and they never expressly say aids but they make a lot of jokes about how having underprotected sex is not okay and you need to like be safe about it because you can get really sick or whatever they they again i'm surprised at how tasteful this was even in the jokes they were making He also, I think a lot of people have touted this in recent years as, like, Austin Powers, man of consent. Like, there's the point where Vanessa changes her mind because she's, like, smashed and wants to hook up with him. And he says, no, I can't. You're drunk. Which, again, low bar. Uh, Very low bar, especially for a man who was actively harassing her, like, 20 minutes before. But, uh, again, I think for a 90s movie, for the horniest man on Earth, like, I think that that's great to see. Yes, for an uncontrollably horny man. The man that invented the word horny. That's it. Do I make you horny? Do I make you randy? But only if you consent. What um, <laughs> for him? So, oh yes, there are definitely moments that stand out now, like of that we can look at and say, like this was progressive at the time. Yeah, um, or maybe not even realized by audiences of like this is wow, whoa, big. Big stance, Austin Powers, but like it's small things like that that contribute to, I think, movie being rewatchable now. Yes. Yeah, completely. So we went on and on about things we love, which we could talk about for forever, truly. Uh, least favorite part, Will Ferrell? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to write down for it. About, about, no, I don't know. Yeah, here it is. Well, I have least favorite scene. <laughs> so Will Ferrell being brownface and the other moments that really stood out to me of like Yeggers, but taking out, taking the problematic away from it, my least favorite scene. And I think this might be a controversial take among the Austin Powers community is I hate the peeing scene so much. I cannot stand it. And it's because of the sound. I just like, I am a very like, (laughs) I'm a very audio sensitive person (laughs) and like, I can't stand mouth sounds. And so the sound of him like pissing into a toilet this was probably one of my dad's favorite scenes and he would quote the evacuation gong gong like over and over again like when one of my brothers was seeing or just in general and i hate this scene so much and it's only intensified like with the years it's the sound is horrific to me i'm just gonna be honest so that's my least favorite scene other than the you know brown face i totally see that and it's interesting because this is not as goofy a scene but it immediately reminded me of the pissing scene in a league of their own where do you remember what i'm talking about I, not really tell me when tom hanks is introduced he's like a total lush he's a huge alcoholic and he's there to like introduce himself to the team but he is so fucking drunk that he stumbles into their like locker room and they're all holding out their hands like nice to meet you jimmy dugan and he walks straight past them walks to the urinal and pees for like the longest amount of time and madonna pulls out a watch and starts timing it and she like walks over and is watching him piss and times it and it's like a minute something and then she goes like that's some good peeing it's like sad but also supposed to be like really funny and i just remember also too being like 
I'm just uncomfortable. Like, I don't think it's as funny as it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. It doesn't balance out. Word for it. Yeah. It's like a, like, I don't know. I find poop jokes funnier than pee jokes. <laughs> like, and. Well, so did you like the cowboy in the bathroom? Him being. That is, that's one of the scenes that's like etched itself into I'm just like word for word, moment for moment. It's funny because we see it from the cowboy's perspective. Okay? Like, and the fact that it's a fucking cowboy, what the fuck? Like, and he's being so supportive. He's, he's like, like, you got this. Work yeah. through it. Work yeah. through it. Or he's like, at first he's like, don't force it, man. Yeah. You're going to hurt yourself. Just relax. <laughs> Let it go. And then, and then he's like, show it who's boss. Yeah. <laughs> whole time austin is being choked out by the lucky charms guy ends up defeating him but it sounds like he's taking a huge fucking shit from the other stall and grunting and he keeps saying too because he just met number two dr evil's <laughs> right hand man and so as he's choking this man this assassin in the toilet and you hear like blah, 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 and he goes who does number two work for and the cowboy's <laughs> like yeah man <laughs> yeah partner you gotta show who's boss like <laughs> And again, this is the most sketch comedy, I think. Not the most sketch comedy, but it's like one of the prime sketch comedy-esque moments where right before that bit ends, the cowboy looks in the toilet and sees a full man drowned in there and goes, what did you eat? <laughs> and it's funny. And also, I think that is a good moment of me of world building, as stupid as that sounds, where it's like, okay, a human in this world is willing to accept that there is a grown man who shit out another grown man into the toilet, <laughs> and that's why this is funny. You're so right. It it's, is it's, it is filling in, filling in the world and showing us that tonally, really, Elizabeth Hurley is the only normal person in this yeah. world. Even the other random people are fucking insane. Yeah. Oh, love it. What about you? I think I would agree, I guess, the pissing. Other than that, I really didn't have a part that I, like, disliked liked other than the will ferrell stuff yeah. frankly everything else felt good to me i do get a little bored with fighting mm -hmm. so not that i like hated the, the fight sequence at the end but and it was funny but after a while i was like okay can we be done yeah <laughs> can we get back to the verbal jokes yeah. which i love yeah totally dare i even ask favorite performance in this movie it's i mean it's mike <laughs> it's it, there's no way it's not mike yeah there's no competition and i mean like if you made it be for yourself in which your two characters then yeah it's better for you i love his commitment so one of the things that got me this rewatch i was like awesome powers haha ha. like he's cool and like i like all the things that go along with him but this movie i was like or this rewatch mike myers is so committed and the way that the world is structured around this character and he's so charismatic i guess is the best word by the end of the movie i was like i believe that elizabeth hurley thinks he's hot yeah like, i believe that she's actually genuinely into him because he's funny in the movie she laughs at him so many times which i think in a lot of comedies is missed out on like the characters like take it seriously to the extent that they need to but yeah. like the other characters who do fall in love with them whatever don't show like aren't shown enjoying their company a lot of yes. the time yeah i think in rom-coms it happens but like in actual comedies where it's like oh hot guy or the, the nerd guy gets the hot girl it's like you don't see the hot girl being like oh my god like that's yeah really funny being and she's charmed by him being charmed and having so much fun with him so i think that his commitment and performance as austin convinced me at the end of the movie like damn yeah okay like i get it also i got a shout out seth green he's so good i think this was one of his earliest film roles like because he's so young he's also smoking hot um 
but like again he was i think a little bit of a scene stealer every time he was in it by being the tropey being the perfect tropey shitty son that also wants to be evil and impress his dad yeah like, the fuck you dad of it all and then we get that amazing scene near the end where he gets to call out the trope of you're not gonna watch them die you're gonna have like an elaborate death trap that they could escape from i have a gun in the other room like i will shoot them right now then we father some bunning we'll just go pop pop like yeah <laughs> his delivery is great and i think Mindy sterling is also great as i mentioned she's she's so great yes and i'm glad this was the first thing that i saw her in that character i'm sure there's like an equivalent in james bond or like a similar like evil female character but she reminds me of um uh, i can't remember the name of the character but the the he was my boyfriend <laughs> character in young frankenstein am i right like she has the same vibe i, I don't Frau remember. blucher yes Frau blucher i'm probably because they, they always, always say winnie when they, they, they say her name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's because they also have Frau, like they both have that title. Like but Germanish. It's, it's that same like evil presentation of a woman that ultimately is comedic genius. And, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think all the performances are pretty great. Um, yeah. But those are my I points. I think you're really spot on. Like, I didn't really think about this in the back of my head I felt this, but I didn't really think about it a lot of the character of Austin Powers being funny and being able to seduce her in genuine that scene where she is drunk and she says so that's you in a nutshell and he goes no this is me in a nutshell then he like curls up and goes help me up in a nutshell so good <laughs> like I also was charmed by that. Like, mm -hmm. I fell in love with Austin Powers during this movie. Yeah. She says at one point, she's like, you short, hairy, funny man yeah. or whatever. And I was like, that's also what I'm looking for. I get it, dude. That's my type. Man, if a, if a guy out of nowhere did the I'm in a nutshell bit, whether I was sober or super hypoxia, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, you fucking We're did. married. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So infinitely charming. Uh, yeah, I think he was, you know he played the two roles and then i also saw maybe i'm wrong he was not yes he was not originally going to play dr evil it was going to be jim carrey who had to drop out because of liar liar mm -hmm. which was a teeny movie for yeah. me oh yeah really i wonder what a jim carrey dr evil would have looked like yeah it would have been a very different tone it would have been it might have overshadowed a little bit yeah. that's just my guess right off the bat um, and then I'm also seeing Rhea Perlman was in talks to play Frau Farbacina. That would have been fun. Yeah, she would have been good. Yeah. But it, it's it's nice to, I don't know, she had enough going on. Yeah. Like, Rhea Especially has cheers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good for them for casting Mindy Sterling, who, when you say her name, like, she's great. Yeah. She's one of those she's, girlies that you don't, pops up and you're like, you're always going to give me what I need. Yeah. You don't think about her a lot and then when you think about her like you're like oh you are doing everything like yes. you are doing everything that i would have thought that you would have done and you're doing it great and you're specific to me oh yeah she was in a drop dead gorgeous as well because I, I remember i think when i watched it afterward i looked it up and i was like oh shit that's mindy sterling like oh my um, god I don't remember exactly which character she is. You're so right. I, I watched it a bit ago. I think she's one of the, like, she's not a mom she's of anybody. She's a judge, I think. Yeah, right? she's like a judge yeah, she's and like a, a consultant. Judges. Yeah. Like, she's helping with the pageant. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Queen shit. I swear to God. Like, yeah. She's also in How the Grinch Stole Christmas 2000. Another big movie for character actors. Yeah, good for her. That, that makes me happy. Mm -hmm. uh, least favorite performance. I don't think it's fair to say... Yeah, I don't think it's fair to say Will. I, don't, I also don't think it's fair to say Elizabeth Hurley, even though she objectively... Like, I think she did fine. She didn't have much to do, really. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But uh, I guess 
the I guess the guy who random task. I don't know. It's <laughs> like it's hard to like choose a least favorite performance in a movie that's so elevated and campy and charactery. Yeah, it definitely felt like everyone was, like, doing their job. Yeah. And for the most part, if anybody was lacking. Because, like, I felt that way a little bit about Robert Wagner. Mm -hmm. But I think that was colored by his notoriety, like, overrided whatever he was doing. He also didn't get to do a lot until, like, the end. Yeah, he's just, like, stern guy. Yeah. And which I guess the whole novelty of it is that it's this serious guy being in Austin Powers. (laughs) But it's not his fault, but it's definitely one of the few ways where this movie does not have longevity is that the longer that people watch this the more they'll be like either a who is that like i don't get why that's funny that he's in it mm-hmm. or b that's the natalie wood guy yeah <laughs> like we have no concept of him being in towering inferno or whatever he was yeah. famous for damn well i i definitely want to watch the other ones like i was i was almost gonna text you last night and be like can I just watch the next one? But I also didn't want that to color this yeah, recording. You should watch them. I would love to watch <laughs> the next two, either with you or in tandem with you. Yes. And the second one is, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to influence you. There's a character that's introduced in the second one who for a while was like a fan favorite, but watching it when I went in 2020, I was like, this guy sucks. And this character's not funny at all. Who's the actor? Mike Myers. Oh, <laughs> it's a third Mike. Oh, yeah. wait. You is know. it Fat Bastard? Fat Bastard. Okay. Yeah. I, like, nothing with him is funny. I saw a screen cap of this character and I said, I'm horrified. So it's horrifying in terms of the horrible fat phobia and also the jokes with him are that he's, like, slovenly. And the jokes that arise from that that would be, you know, jokes regardless of the person's size are also not funny. Yeah. So... So, but if you watch the second one knowing that, prepare yourself. I think you can enjoy it. And then Heather Graham is in the second one? Yeah, she's the, like, powers girl. Nice. Which one is Beyonce in? She's in the third one. And she bodies it. Yeah. Lie, she's awesome. Um, <laughs> I did, though, when, when I watched the third one recently, I, like, I'm sure I looked at the letterbox for it. And one of the people said, like, damn, Beyonce did this and then said, do get more movies. And I think it was after Dreamgirls. I could be wrong, no. I think maybe Dreamgirls came after. It was like one of her last movies that she did. She really did such a short acting acting stint because she did Austin Powers, The Pink Panther with Steve Martin. Oh my god. Which I've been dying to do a rewatch of. Adburger will always be in my brain. Like my family says that even though we hate that movie. Mm-hmm. We'll still say Adburger. <laughs> and then Dreamgirls. Yeah. And I think that was maybe it. She did Dreamgirls in 2006, so it was after old number. Yeah. I feel like Dreamgirls, especially, I don't know if she was nominated for an Oscar, but that seemed like her last push where she was like, I'm really going to give it my all and try acting. And then, you know, it just wasn't for her. Yeah. I hope she found success in whatever else she did. Yeah, I don't know whatever happened to her. She was, she had something there for a while, but. She was great. Yeah, I thought she was really, you know, cute. She can sing, right? Yeah. Oh, I think she could sing pretty well. That's good for her. That's so rare. Oh, we know um, who Beyonce is. Just what we'll say. On the letterbox reviews for this, someone pointed out that the cinematographer for this movie—I know—is <laughs> Peter Devlin, who often collaborated with Sam Raimi and David Lynch. So he did Lost Highway. Actually, legitimately incredible, and probably why I'm a lynch head to this day. Like, that's awesome. I, I saw that too, and I was like, Drive too. That's the career that I want to have. Like, I want to make a movie like Austin Powers, and then I want to make a movie like Mulholland Drive. Like, yeah. Did I just give you, like, key to understanding me? Like, this Peter Dunning Drive and the fucking Clue movie. The Clue, oh before. my God. Anyway. 
That's so real. Another one of my favorite letterbox reviews was I want to I want to quote it. I want to quote it verbatim because it's worth it. As you're pulling that yeah. up, we can cut this if you want. Okay. But um, Anna is openly bisexual, <laughs> and the way that when she's coming to terms with it, still, she said some of my favorite movies are Clue and Mulholland Drive, and have been for a and long Madeline time. Called me out immediately. I said, and you didn't know you were gay. <laughs> So the letterbox review that I love that I I think that this is perfect in every way says aggressively heterosexual but also somehow queer I don't know how he does it <laughs> that is spot on it's so right man oh we'd also be remiss to not mention the teeth <laughs> yeah the teeth gag of him having that teeth yes until the very end yeah I love that and I always wonder like what British people think about that mm-hmm. of like that's a notable thing. That we think they all have bad teeth. But I do love, like, not only do you see his teeth a ton, <laughs> but then when they're when they're reviewing all the fancy weapons, and then she's like, and here's toothpaste and a toothbrush. And he's like, oh, is, is the toothpaste a laser? And the toothbrush is a knife or whatever? And she's like, no. <laughs> no, you should just use them. She says, like, dentistry has come a really long <laughs> And then at the end, it gets it teeth back. fixed. Well, and it comes back to when they're in the sea bass pit and she hands him the floss. She's like, Austin, use this. And he goes, I know, I have bad teeth. <laughs> and it's that it's the callback. And I think it's the perfect amount of callback because we've seen the teeth enough and we've yes. seen the joke. And she's like, no, use it to lasso. It's good, good comedy there. Good yes. Comedy. That is another big, strong component of this movie, I feel like, is that there it has the perfect amount of callbacks. And when they linger on something for a long time at the beginning, they will bring it back. Sure. And that's how I felt about the goddamn penis pump. The way that they bring it back at the end. I wrote Chekhov's penis pump. <laughs> because they talk about it for so fucking long at the beginning. It's like truly a five minute long gag of him being like, that's not mine. And then more evidence that it's his. Here's the receipt for when yeah. you bought it. And then at the end, even though everything seems well, random task comes back to defeat him and he destroys him as a bump. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's stunning. It's a true moment of Deus Ex penis pump. But not really because they put it in there earlier in the movie. It's so good, man. Completely, completely. I think the whole movie, for the most part, is is very good comedic-like storytelling mm-hmm. i think they do a good job with that even though things feel like bits for the most part everything everything is solved in a way that feels satisfying for each bit yes whether it's contained within the bit or it's a long term like the scott relationship and, <laughs> and the times he shows up and it's relevant or the penis pump or you know, or the teeth thing like yeah it's, it's good callback comedy that doesn't feel like a when it happens earlier in the movie you're not like oh well, this is gonna come back later <laughs> I, a lot of comedy has. I completely also feel that way about there's at least two sequences, maybe three, where there is a need for a scene with Basil Exposition <laughs> where they have to exposition dump. <laughs> and so they throw in all the physical comedy with covering up the nudity yeah. in all the different ways. And she's eating a sausage while he's like bending over and yeah. stuff. And it looks really crude. It's so, it's good. Like yeah. it's so silly, but it's really shows like a keen eye for, this sounds so reductive and silly to say, a keen eye for comedy, but it's, you never really stop laughing in this mm-hmm. movie unless there's a very sincere tender moment, but you're always the laugh train. Mm-hmm. This movie. There were a few bits or like moments and bits where I was like, okay, this is 
not necessarily overstate its welcome, but like, and maybe it's because I'm so familiar with it that when things happened, I was like, okay, <laughs> I get it now. Like, even, I don't remember exactly which one it was, but like, even the zip it scene, like, where I was like, this is funny. Like, I know this is funny. I know all the zip it's that he says. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I was watching this for the first time, I hope that I would still like be on board, but I could see being tired by yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that lingered a little too long, but I don't remember. Uh, maybe the like Austin trying to take the wig off of Basil's mom, like which you know what that's was, like. If okay. I had to pick, I'm, that was something I was thinking of as a least favorite part. And maybe this is I'm gonna sound woke, but even the first time when he was like, "That's not a go-go dancer, that's a man," I was like, "Ooh, a you can't do that anymore." Yeah, and b it felt mildly uncomfortable. And then when he does it again with the old woman that he thinks is a man and therefore a henchman and he's trying to pull her hair off for a long time i agree that was i was like not laughing i wasn't like upset but i was like this doesn't hit yeah yeah well this was wonderful talking about this movie thank you so much for watching it thank you for giving me a reason to watch it like i really really enjoy it and like you said it's gonna give me Halloween costume fodder for for years Years to to come. come yeah god it's so even at the end when they've been captured and they're in these weird futuristic like silvery suits mm-hmm. she looks great he looks great you can even do that there's yeah. so many fucking yeah. options these movies we talked a little bit about blazing saddles what are some other movies that you consider your tv movies are they all pretty much comedies probably not exclusively but a lot of them are like i just think of stuff that my dad would have wanted to turn on that i could also watch and it would be like obviously these blazing saddles and we flipped a lot man um i don't know i i don't know <laughs> do you have any with uh, other people in your family my mom different like didn't really watch movies a lot i mean like she did sometimes it watching movies like all of us it wasn't a huge thing in my family as much mm-hmm. i will say my brothers had a running gag of from the movie and i think that they would this came from seeing it on tv the movie home on the range the Disney movie. god not to bring that first title into this conversation. A lot of stuff like that. Like, I feel like I have two younger brothers and they, they are closer in age than I am to them. And I think that there was a point relatively quickly where, like, they were manning the TV and I just wanted to, like, be because I was moody. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I asked my dad about it and he was like, let me think about it. Like, I can't immediately think of many other ones, but I'm sure. Oh, you know what? Actually, Huey's Big Adventure is another one. So yeah, I guess they are mostly comedies. (laughs) Stuff that like, comedies that were not necessarily edgy for a kid, but like not kid comedies. Yeah. We watched the show, Huey's Big Adventure, man. Over and over. We are recording this, what, a month after Paul Rubens' tragic passing? Yeah. Oh, damn. I fucking love that movie. Yeah. That's my favorite Tim Burton movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> actually, I think mine too. <laughs> um, Danny Elfman could post this for We just rewatched it, like, not long before. Oh, so good. Um, The, like, what... I'm just so curious about your, like, TV habits as a mm-hmm. child. So you had two younger brothers. What's yeah. the age gap between you and the next one? My middle brother is four years younger than me, and my youngest brother is seven years younger than me. So mm-hmm. they're three years apart. But so, like, they were always in school together, and, like, I was, I think, one, like, one year with my middle brother, and I was just never, I was never super close with them growing up, so we didn't spend a lot of time together that wasn't, like, 
forced versus I, they shared a room. A lot of the TV that I watched was when I was in middle and high school, I would come home after school and I'd get home before them. I think if I remember this correctly, like they were in daycare, but I could come home and I would watch a lot of TV shows actually. Like I loved the TV show Bones. Like why? <laughs> why? I don't know. Like how old are you? This was like probably middle school. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's very processable for a middle school. Yeah. So a lot of my TV habits were TV shows more, which I think is why now I have a I think I have a more extensive knowledge of TV shows than I do of movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, now when I watch TV with my family too, like there are definitely moments where my dad's like, hey, you remember watching this with me? And I would be like, no, actually I don't. <laughs> so I think that there are probably things that he my dad watched a lot of TV and he would do the classic dad channel surfing in that way. Like he was stereotypical dad flipping through the channels and did he ever do the dad entering the living room and standing and watching something but not committing to sitting down yes <laughs> yes many times Love or, that. and he'd do that and he'd be like hey if we weren't really paying attention like if we were playing with toys or something or whatever he'd be like do you mind if i change it like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i think i was atypical in that way and that we didn't watch a lot of movies together did your family have like any point shows that you all sat down to watch together not all of us mm. because the age gap was so significant and my mom like i love her but she is a person who cannot really sit down like even now i think that she like when she and my dad like none of us live in their house anymore like mm -hmm. and she, when she and my dad sit down and watch tv shows i think she's still like on her laptop working which i've like given her shit about she's a person who is often doing something so a lot of the time it would be like me and my dad sitting or my dad and me and a brother yeah. so yeah i can't really think of a show that we all watch together which is crazy now to think about it. i think it, i think my childhood is atypical in that yeah, the age gap does make sense, though, because you and your next youngest brother were never really in the same developmental stage of yeah. life, you know, where you were probably always wanting to watch different shit until you were basically adults. Yeah, I'm sure. We played a lot of video games, too, is the mm. other thing. So I think that that took a lot of our childhood screen time. We played a lot of video games together. Did you do the, like, going to the DVD store and renting video games ever? Yeah, sometimes we did. I I mean, especially, like, when we had a GameCube. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and... And, like, the PlayStation 2 that we have. Oh. If you had to pick a PS2 game to play right now, what would it be? Right now? A PS2 game? Oh. Mine would be Shrek 2, the game. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. There was a PS2 game. My partner's in the other bedroom. He's going to laugh at this. <laughs> There's a PS2 game. This is so weird. I hope you're ready for this. That I loved as a kid. It was called Okami Shadow King. <laughs> Laughing is, like, is appropriate. <laughs> It's this little, it's like an RPG, like a turn-based RPG game. And I had such good memories of that game. I played the shit out of it as a kid and I wasn't that good at it because it's like... Did you play that with your brothers? No, it's a little single player game. We played a lot of Mario Kart together. Mm -hmm. And especially too, when we played Mario Kart, my youngest brother was like, probably like eight or nine. Like a lot of the time we played and I was like fully a teenager. So I think... <laughs> dominating actually kick his ass there was enough times when i wasn't good enough at it where i was like okay <laughs> you got something there adam <laughs> um this ps2 game i played it like relatively recently like within the past three years because it was on it came on the playstation store mm -hmm. and i was having fun with it and then the game glitched and like fully deleted my save profile and i was like this is a sign for me to move on as an adult yeah. and stop like looking at things through rose-colored glasses. And I'm glad to say that upon rewatch, Austin Powers is not a thing through rose-colored glasses. It's genuinely good. Definitely. So, definitely. 
you know, something about, you know, doing this podcast or whatever. Not only do I want it to be about movies you watched on TV, but pretty much everyone I've been talking to is around my age. Therefore, we all came of age, you know, mid 2000s and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like something that I haven't really talked about yet that you and I have connected on is really having unsupervised weird internet time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. That's like kids yeah. nowadays really don't have, like now that parents know the dangers of what you can stumble yeah. upon, but the way we were just allowed to be on a desktop PC for like six hours mm -hmm. a night. Specifically, I, I remember this, like this really, all the lights off in the room, it was the computer room. My dad, ha my dad also loves playing video games and he would be on his big computer set up next to me and I'd be on my dinky little like home computer, literally all lights off, blue blue light, like, pouring <laughs> into my eyes on homestarrunner.com. Like, um, oh yeah. Yes, we agree. You talked about Homestar Runner the other day, which, you know, I only watched Teen Girl Squad, but still. It's such a specific era. I mentioned the website Albino Black Sheep. Any of you listening, that was like, all flash games and weird little videos and stuff, mm -hmm. and god, I miss it. That was a lot of my media diet, as a kid, genuinely, and like, if Austin Powers and Goofy, like, Blazing Saddles, Pee Wee Herman, like, influenced that part of my sense of humor, then I think that a lot of the weird internet humor that is, like, very much the foundation for what, like, TikTok is today. Yeah. Not even necessarily in the format, but, like, in the type of, like, existential and weird Gen Z humor. Like, yeah. very much a foundation for internet humor. Mm -hmm. Like, that also very much plays into how I think I view humor now. Yes. So that was a lot of my media diet. Weird. <laughs> Did we talk about, were you a Fred viewer? I was a casual Fred viewer. I was a little too old to think, to not realize how annoying he was. Mm -hmm. So like realizing he was annoying and also there were parts of what he did that I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but like by the time the movie came out, I was like, Fred. Like, <laughs> um, so I was a casual Fred. Yes. I, I loved Miranda Sings too. Like R.I.P. But like, I know. It was at that time as well. Yeah. So. Wow. The way that like I was talking about this with a friend of mine because I was also a Miranda Sings devotee. Mm -hmm. Aged out of it because I feel like we were, you know, within the years of like you watch the first two years of her rise and then at a certain point like by the time the tv show came out i was like i do not care about that yeah, anymore me too. Uh, but i remember her husband at the time her first husband was in a traveling acapella group that came to my high school and it was when they were engaged and like i knew that that was colleen's fiance yeah oh my god and so me and my friends were truly like sitting in our choir room they came to perform for us like to inspire us to keep singing we're like in the choir room and me and my friends are like trying our hardest not to be like what's it like being married to colleen Bowser? you know what i mean yeah oh all that internet stuff Julian Smith. Do you remember that? The name sounds familiar. Oh, he did those weird sketches. Milk was like the first big one where it was people are saying milk wrong. They say mm -hmm. milk and they say milk. Okay, and milk. okay. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And then like Rhett and Link who have yeah. weirdly like continued on and I guess become like super progressive and cool. Like people, I know people that still keep up with their podcasts yeah. and stuff. They have a whole brand now. Yeah. It's interesting to see how early internet people have what they've gone on to do if they continue with it or yes another one was smosh like very <laughs> into their videos i don't know if they're still okay like yeah. yeah did you ever watch college humor stuff 
Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. And now it's Dropout, apparently. I have friends who are... It rebranded? It rebranded as Dropout. And now they have a ton of, like, panel shows, especially, like, Dungeons and Dragons type, Mm -hmm. like, improv shows that they do or, like, game shows that they do, Mm -hmm. which is very cool. But I was a huge Jake and Amir Mm -hmm. devotee when I was, like, in middle and high school. Yeah. That tracks for you. Every once in a while, something will pop into my head that's from that. And then I'll go, why do I still know that? Like, I was trying to shut something and I said, shut it and forgot it. <laughs> Which at some point they say I couldn't even find it in any yeah. of the videos. But at <laughs> so, one point, fucking Amir Blumenfeld said that in a video from 2011. Yeah. And it's been in my brain ever since. It's nice to talk about these weird nostalgia things. <laughs> I mean, we're the only generation that, like, had that weird not access to the internet and then access to the internet. And, like, it was not like we grew up with it being a solid thing. We were in the terrain and the frontier tricking and figuring it out along with all the other people who were using it who were fully formed adults. Yes. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what happened to you as a child on the internet. But for me, I feel very lucky that I am mostly unscathed from Mm -hmm. having complete access to everything. Like, I knew people who were going on Reddit and going on, like, 50-50 subreddit or, like, going on gore subreddits and, like, seeing videos of people being beheaded or whatever. So I feel lucky that, (laughs) I don't know. I just stumbled upon porn early and I was like, I don't like this. (laughs) Weird. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> that was about it yeah and that i yeah i had good positive experience that i enjoy yeah so, it's kind of yeah. weird seeing i have little cousins one of whom is like she's nine and she'll pull up youtube and just like show me a bunch of random videos and even i'm like you know i guess i had unfiltered youtube maybe 12 and 11 onward mm-hmm. i'm like nine seasons young like yeah. totally un- i don't even think she was on youtube kids yeah. and even that has its own weird shit yeah i mean like nine and also the amount staggering amount of content on youtube now comparatively to when we started when it was like yeah. jenna marvel's sketch videos <laughs> like genuinely yeah. like i think that it is a very different i mean first of all it's very different digital landscape for kids now it's weird to think about and it's weird to think about too like well we had that same experience kind of yeah not really like, yeah i always feel Feel like people in our like five year ish age range. I'm sure everyone feels this way about their like year that they grew up in or whatever. But I particularly felt so lucky that it felt like technology aged at the perfect rate that I was aging at. So getting YouTube access at like 11 and 12, I can handle it. I didn't get a smartphones were not like available until I was in high school. Instagram was not a thing until I was a junior in high school. And having to see like, I don't know, kids that are 12 have Instagram and Snapchat and figure that out. Yeah. 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 Damn. We sound old. Not even old. It's true. <laughs> yeah. We we escaped like the worst sad parts of child. Like we still got to have a pretty chill, media free, but like good parts of media childhood. I feel yeah. like. Oh, on that note, I'll bring it to the final question that I always ask, which is a contemporary movie that you think would make a good TV movie for this generation. Do okay. you have one? I had to think about it mm-hmm. um, because I didn't immediately have a lot of stuff. Like I, in that way, I'm always going to advocate for comedy, I think, um, understandably. And I think, <laughs> I mean, for many, many reasons, but one, because I think comedies are often easier to pick up on or like to tune into because a lot, of it, a lot of it is bits that yeah. are funny regardless of, you know, the other context of the movie. So one of the ones that I said, which... This is like, I think a lot of people have been saying this is the new Dungeons and Dragons movie. Like, yeah. that's that feels so much like a TV movie. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
But then I was looking back at all the movies that I've watched in the past couple of years to be like, what is the perfect one? And I found it. Not one. I found it. It's Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. It is the I... perfect TV comedy movie. Have you not seen this? Oh my God. Okay. Well, so end of the podcast. Um, Madeline just said she hasn't seen Barb and Star. Um, you'd love it. I mean, you'd absolutely love it. We'll, we'll watch the two subsequent Austin Powers movies. And we'll watch It's... It is truly like a female buddy comedy that's similar to Austin Powers in the world is so goofy and so colorful and so like elevated in and the people around them are not all squares. Some of them are very, you know, cut and dry like straight men, but like many of the other characters are also silly goofy, which I love. And yeah, I think it is the perfect TV comedy flipping through movie that's also very good. And that if a kid saw it now, they would be like, I like this. Like Mm -hmm. I, I like I understand this as comedy not like just haha kid movie and also it's accessible to me as a child so yeah that's a great answer because obviously makes me think of bridesmaids yeah. which is like whenever i go home and i use my parents cable it is on tv all the time and that's like objectively a good thing i think for young women and like tween age girls to be watching that and to be inspired and so i assume they would feel the same way about barb and star and i think barb and star honestly is bridesmaid is bridesmaids walked so that Barb and Star could run, even though they're very different movies in terms of like the plot structure and the mm-hmm. characters. Because Barb and Star is not an ensemble cast; it's very much the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a slightly more refined version of what bridesmaids that like mid aughts like yeah girl comedy. Not yeah, comedy that sounds demeaning. It like, kind of is though. Yeah, lady laughs. Yeah, goofy gal movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely of an era because I mean yeah. the whole appeal of that movie is like, what if girls shit? Like it's it kind of was premise. like the groundbreaking yeah. part of that movie. And thank God we're not there anymore. Yeah. But and it needed to happen. But you're spot on that, you know, we have moved past yeah. that as being groundbreaking. Dude, so. you're going to love Barbie style. <laughs> it's so... Like, I've seen so tiny much. little clips and even that, I'm like, this is delightful. I've seen the Trish conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Which is paid off multiple times yeah. throughout the movie. Love. Yeah. That, that one, I think, feels similar to Austin Powers in how elevated the world is and how committed everybody is to it. And... The world building is so thorough in that. Love that. That is a great answer. I had to look back on my letterbox for it, but Mm -hmm. happy with it. That's great. I could totally see that being on fucking Comedy Central and a 12-year-old clicking on it and being like, I think I want to do comedy. Yeah. Love that. Mm -hmm. Before we end here, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Like sure. Your letterbox? You guys can follow me on letterbox if you want. Yeah. Pressure. Um, No, you have to. Oh, big pressure. Sorry. I'm so curious when you do pull up your letterboxed. I haven't looked at your profile in a while, but I want to know what your big four are. Is Mulholland Drive one of them? Yeah. Great. My letterbox name is Anna, A-N-N-A-N-J-16. You can also search Anna Johnson. You can also, if you follow Madeline on Letterboxd, follow her. (laughs) You can do their following ones. Yes. My big four are, this is so... Gay. Actually, um, <laughs> Mulholland Drive, The Handmaiden, <laughs> um, House, and Sing Street. And if um, that isn't a little bit of Anna, I don't know what is. Um, that is wonderful. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so go follow, follow Anna me on Letterboxd for the best opinions you will ever see on film. That's very generous. <laughs> hey, Madeline, you're groovy, baby. Stay groovy, baby. Bye. Bye.